This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam, And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, the situation in Gaza is even more catastrophic than when we spoke last week. 27.5 thousand Palestinians have been killed by the Israeli genocide uh, campaign uh, in Gaza right now. Almost 14,000 children have been killed. 1.8 million Palestinians remain close to starvation. 80% of the buildings in Gaza that were essentially used to house Palestinians in Gaza have been destroyed. The, the, weather, and si- the weather situation in Gaza is freezing. It's cold. It's raining periodically. But more importantly, right now, Israel is on the precipice of engaging in an open, claimed displacement and potential furtherance of the genocide in Rafah right now, which we'll come to in a minute. So the situation becomes bleak. We're going to be talking about that. Everything is pointing to a massacre about to occur in Gaza, especially in Rafah right now. The Israeli military, the prime minister have telegraphed it. The entire world community has condemned it. Even Linda uh, Greenfield, the UN ambassador from the United States, has said this is a no-go. But you and I know from covering this for years that the possibility of this massacre in Rafah is a real possibility. CNN has been exposed by its own staff as biased, and this came up especially when a six-year-old young Palestinian girl, uh, Hind Rajab, was along with her family, was killed by Israeli tanks. She survived it, called the equivalent of 911. Uh, the, The paramedics came to rescue her, and the Israelis bombed and killed Hind and the two medics. It's a devastating story, was not covered by CNN in a thoughtful way. CNN staffers claimed bias. Uh, We're going to cover that. And of course, we need to talk a little bit about Biden. And the question today for our listeners and viewers, Jamal, is Biden changing his tune? Uh, He sent uh, John Finer and Samantha Power to Dearborn for a second trip, attempting to rally the troops around his flagging campaign. And we'll, we'll talk quite a bit about that. But before we get to that, Jamal, you had a great interview with Green Party presidential candidate, Dr. Jill Stein. And she talks about the horrific genocide in Gaza, the problem with the two-party monopoly, and the political campaign successes and challenges that she's facing. That she's a Green Party alternative to the two st- two-party duopoly, uh, monopoly that the two parties have. And the point here, Jamal, with your uh, excellent interview, is that people actually do have a choice. Absolutely. They do have a choice. And that's, uh, you know, when you talk about we are trapped. I mean, this is uh, everyone in the United States is trapped in this or they think they are trapped in this two party system. And now when you have the choice between Biden and Trump, yes, a lot of people might not want to go and vote. And that's wrong. You know, you don't have to vote for Biden. You don't have to vote for Trump. There are strong alternatives. Vote your conscience. Vote, vote for those people who basically, you know, are going to look after you, not look after the corporate and military uh, in, interests, basically. And that's what we've been seeing. So let's watch uh, the interview with Dr. Jill Stein. Democratic and Republican parties offer Arab and Muslim Americans no viable choice in 2024 presidential election. 
The majority of them voted for Biden in 2020 as a protest against Trump's Islamophobic rhetoric. However, after assuming the presidency, Biden has increasingly discounted and dismissed the needs and concerns of these communities. Now, with this unequivocal green light for Israel to perpetrate its genocide in Gaza and refusal to demand a ceasefire, Arab and Muslim American communities in Michigan, a swing state, are not going to vote for Biden in the upcoming primaries, but rather mark their ballots uncommitted, which raises the question of why voters can't cast a ballot for their values instead of their fears. Why do the Democratic and Republican parties who increasingly serve corporate and military-industrial complex interests have a stranglehold on whom we choose to represent us? Joining us on Arab Talk this week is Dr. Jill Stein, the Green Party presidential candidate for 2024. She states that real change benefiting the majority will never come from within the two parties who serve the corporate elitists and their moneyed lobbies. She's a Harvard-educated medical doctor, pioneering environmental health advocate, and an organizer for people, planet, and peace. Welcome to Arab Talk, Dr. Stein. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you, Jamal. Thank you. So let's begin. Why? Um, what do you say to the Arab and Muslim American communities who see themselves not only overlooked, but threatened and un unprotected under either a Biden or a Trump administration. They came out in droves to vote for Biden in 2020. Now they feel let down, but there are other options. Does the Green Party offer a lifeboat for their values? Absolutely. And I would invoke the words of Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist who said, famously that power concedes nothing without a demand. It never has and it never will. It was true then. It's true now. We, we need, you know, as a community with, uh, with a moral compass, we need to stand up and direct our elected officials where we need to go. And we don't do that by silencing ourselves, simply, you know, abandoning Biden it's a great thing, but it's not nearly enough because there's nothing that they would like better than to silence this community that is effectively challenging um, uh, the global domination of empire, you know, and the problem, the crisis, the emergency of the moment is the genocide in Gaza. And that represents not only a dire threat to 2 million plus people uh, in Gaza, the people of Palestine, uh, it's also a threat actually to the lives of Israelis who are really poisoning public opinion against them, making themselves a pariah state and mobilizing their neighbors against them. Their lives are also hanging in the balance. And it's much bigger than that as well because we're looking at a potential global conflagration here as Joe Biden in his, what shall we say, confusion, his basic state of confusion, he is now responding to the ruling of the ICJ, the International Court of Justice, by basically doubling down on genocide, by withdrawing uh, support for UNRWA, which is 
you know, it's an absolute death sentence to the people of Gaza to be doing this at this time. And he's bombing three countries uh, and threatening Iranians, though he's not bombing Iran. And let's remember that Iran has a mutual defense treaty with Russia. So this has all the makings of a global conflagration of World War III, a potential nuclear crisis. We really need to see this crisis as something uh, it is part of the war machine, the endless war machine, which is impoverishing Americans and depriving us of half of our congressional budget is basically being spent on these wars that only make things worse and have been doing so for decades now. Uh, and it also endangers us. So this is wrong on every level. And it's being driven by outside special interests, including APAC and the war and weapons industry. So this is anti-democratic uh, at its base. And there is every reason for us to stand up and do the right thing. And I'll just, you know, summarize with one last thing, which is that democracy needs a moral compass. Democracy is not served by silencing ourselves. We need to stand up and cast an affirmative vote on behalf of what we do want. And there are many ways that that wins, whether we win the White House or we simply win the day by showing that this is a very strong uh, constituency that is not going to be silenced, uh, we win the day. Right. Uh, so the leadership of the two-party system likes to blame their failure on third-party candidates, calling them spoilers. It's become a, a perennial argument. First, they blamed Ross Perot, later it was Ralph Nader and, and, and others. Now they're instilling fear among Arab and uh, Muslim Americans, uh, Amer American voters, as well as other minorities, particularly in swing state Michigan, that not voting for Biden is a vote for Trump. Uh, talk about this coercive argument of voting your fear. Yeah, you know, so let me say that the politics of fear has delivered everything we are afraid of. So voting for the lesser evil because you think it's going to avoid war or that it will better protect immigrant rights or human rights or our health care. Um, you know, there are so many rationales given for voting for the lesser evil. But what do we have now? We have all of those crises that we were supposedly voting against, which I think, again, makes the point I was making before, which is that democracy needs a vision forward. It needs an affirmative agenda. You don't get it by voting against the one that you most dislike. You have to vote for a candidate who represents you and your values. Let me say further that the whole notion that the um, the establishment parties should dictate to the American people who they can vote for and only give them two choices is absolutely nonsense. That is also anti-democratic at its face. Without a right to choose, our elections are meaningless. We need to have choices on the ballot and we need to freely exercise that choice. What they are doing right now is basically extortion. It's, it's using fear to try to manipulate your vote. And I would say, you know, that the, those of us who've been fighting this battle for a long time um, are kind of not moved by that, 
by that conversation anymore. It's the same old thing to call people spoilers because they are offering solutions that the American public is clamoring is a joke. It's ridiculous. And I would invoke the words of Alice Walker, the poet and novelist, who said, the biggest way people give up power is by not knowing we have it to start with. Remember, we have the power, and those who are trying to talk you out of it do not have your interests at heart. This is the responsibility of our membership in democracy. We need to evaluate our choices and stand up and exercise our choice. That's what democracy has always been about. And if I could add one other thing, you know, the the major parties want to blame third parties for spoiling their their grip on power. But if you look at the biggest loss that the Democrats ever had, that was in the election of 2010. What happened then was that Democrats lost 1,000 seats in state legislatures, they lost 64 seats in Congress, 12 seats in um, in the Senate, and 13 governorships. It was a massacre for the Democrats. There were zero third parties. They lost big because this was the first election following the Wall Street bailouts, where the Democrats, with two houses of Congress and the White House, basically bailed out Wall Street to the tune of trillions of dollars while they threw out millions upon millions of homeowners from their homes. So that's when the Democrats really began to lose their grip on power in um, uh, in the Capitol. So don't let them try to talk you into thinking this is about third parties. The main thing third parties do is bring people back in and give them a reason to vote. So we're mainly mobilizing disenfranchised, disillusioned voters who are what? Largely voters of color, lower income, and younger. Those are exactly the people we need to be engaged in our democracy and who should be given a role uh, in driving our, our society forward with a vision of the future, which has always been really the role of the younger generation. So this is nothing to be shamed about. This is nothing to be guilty about. This is a responsibility of democracy to be proud about. So I assume you're not a big fan of, of the belief that to effect change, candidates uh, should work from within the party structure. Uh, you know, is that a viable strategy to effect real change and transform our system from one representing a few to representing the majority? I mean, that's what they say. Well, you know, stick around, uh, have a seat on the table with the Democratic Party, and eventually they'll address your needs or your wishes. They are counting on your not being uh, uh, closely involved in this process because those who are watchdogging it closely and have been doing that for a while have heard that election after election. Uh, Bernie Sanders ran two very strong really powerful campaigns for that purpose. And we saw what happened. He was sabotaged from within, even according to the words of the head of the uh, uh, Democratic National Committee. You know, so it wasn't just outsiders crying foul. It was also insiders who were confessing, yes, this was a rigged election. And that's that's how they work. That's how they've worked this time, by basically... Uh, silencing any competition from within the Democratic Party by taking competitors off the ballot, 
uh, by refusing to participate in debates. Uh, this is how they work. And progressive uh, elements in the Democratic Party have been silenced and sidelined. And this has gone on for generations. So people with my color hair who've been uh, engaged in this process since the 1960s have seen this happen over and over. So there's just, you know, there's no doubt about it. They are counting on newcomers, on um, new communities who are newly participating in the political process. And they're also counting on young people who, um, you know, can uh, be, uh, you know, who they think that they can lead around by the nose, but they can't do that anymore. I think, you know, young people especially now I have woken up to the threat to their very own lives. So if you look at the polls now, it's, you know, it's substantial portions. It's like 20% of African-Americans, 20% of Hispanics, 21% of young people who have already declared just first out of the starting gate before they even know about the alternatives. They're already saying they are not voting for business as usual because it has really thrown them under the bus and they've had enough of that. Yeah, I mean, talking about young uh, voters uh, from 18 to 35 are turning away from establishment candidates. They see no future in their future and they don't see themselves represented. Uh, represented. So what drastic changes does the Green Party offer them that, that are different from the Democratic and Republican parties? And, and, and in general, why does the Green Party serve the interests of the majority of Americans? Great. And let me just say first at the outset that when young people hear about our campaign, that there is a campaign that actually uh, uh, mobilizes for a just and sustainable climate future and an environment and jobs and health care and uh, uh, the right to higher education, which should be available for free as a high school education is, Higher education is now necessary to survive in the economy. It likewise should be provided for free. And we also know that it pays for itself many times over for every dollar uh, that the um, uh, the <clears throat> uh, the education provided for GIs when they returned after the Second World War. Right. Every dollar invested was returned by $7. So this is the right thing. And when, when young people hear that there actually are uh, options out there, they... Stand up, and this is part of why the um, you know mainstream media and political parties try to silence their opposition because they know that their days are numbered and that there's enormous public hunger out there. And the numbers that you cited are absolutely correct. Uh, it is um, half of young people now who describe themselves as hopeless about uh, the future, and in fact, it's one quarter of young people who've considered harming themselves because their desperation has actually reached that level. So, you know, what we what we offer is the Green Party. I've mentioned some of them. We originated and launched into the national conversation uh, canceling student debt, and we were ridiculed by it uh, or for that reason, you know, which is ridiculous because now it's kind of been accepted as a good thing, but they don't actually do it. And likewise, in the same way, you know, Biden came to office promising he was going to make substantial reductions in student debt. And well, really let's, let's talk that. about Biden's uh, record. I mean, apart from Biden uh, greenlighting the Palestinian genocide, the, uh, the the Democratic Party claims that he is the defender of women's reproductive rights. 
He's a defender of the environment, labor rights, uh, taking on authoritarian regimes. What is his actual record? Uh, his record is that he betrays his promises and uh, he promised Wall Street that nothing would change. And that is the one promise that has been kept. So on women's rights, he had decades, really, to um, to uh, codify so-called Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade and ensure that uh, women would have full reproductive rights and the right to an abortion. Uh, he chose not, you know, he, he was voted, he and Obama actually were voted into office saying that that would be their first priority at, at a time when they had the uh, numbers in the Senate to do something about it. And, and they didn't. They just use it uh, as a uh, perennial fundraising tool. You know, it's their favorite fundraising tool. But when they get to office and they have the power, they they don't act on it. They could have changed the uh, rules uh, on, you know, the the the, the so-called requirement for the two-thirds majority, that could have been modified, as Republicans have modified that in the past for the approval of judges. That could have been uh, changed even when they didn't have the two-thirds majority. On the environment, um, they talk a big game, and they they pat themselves on the back for the Inflation Reduction Act. But when you actually look at the act, the act requires, before any major renewable energy project can be built, the act first requires that 2 million acres of public lands be used for fossil fuel development and 60 million acres of offshore be used for uh, fossil fuel extraction. And this has to happen every year for 10 years. So it's basically opening the floodgates wide by he who said that, you know, no further extractions on public lands. He, he gave the seal of approval to 22 LNG plants, liquefied natural gas plants, which are extremely carbon intensive. And the Sierra Club has said that that amounts to building 440 new coal plants. They've just put that on hold due to public pressure uh, right before an election. They put it on hold, but that's no guarantee at all that they're not going to move ahead once the election is over. They've only put it on hold. And um, that doesn't you know, that doesn't do the trick whatsoever. This is extremely dangerous. They approved it in the first place. So now they're trying to take credit for putting a pause on their deadly approvals. So, you know, on issue after issue, the, the Democrats have betrayed uh, the climate. Likewise, uh, for labor rights, uh, again, Biden came to office saying he would really work real hard for the $15 minimum wage. And that was dropped. Uh, you know, the promises across the board have been abandoned and it gives new meaning to the word abandoned Biden. You know, he's the guy that abandons his base over and over again. What are the challenges uh, of running a serious third party party candidacy? Uh, for example, how do you get on the ballot? Uh, how do you grow the party? I know I think my information is correct. Now you're on on, on in 20 states, right, on, on the ballot. So you have still a lot of work ahead of so now it's it's 21 uh as of two days ago 2021 oh. um and one of those um one of it wasn't the 21st i think it was the 20th we got on in south dakota for the first time where we have never been on as a party before 
And that's because we now have the support of the Lakota Nation, uh, not not formally, but activists in in the Lakota community got out with their petitions and uh, got us on the ballot, a real sign of the kind of growing recognition of the Green Party as a party that stands for, you know, oppressed peoples and and people who deserve to have the power uh, of democracy. In the last election uh, that I was in, in 2016, we were on in 47 states, and that included all the populous states. So we were on for about 97% of voters, more than enough to uh, win an election. We have a culture of empowerment. We are a diverse, a diverse and diffuse grassroots network. So we have uh, parties in uh, all of the states who are watchdogging the process. The process of ballot access is how the uh, the the ruling parties maintain their monopoly and prevent challengers from rising to power. That's what it's been about since the early 1900s when most of these rules were written, although they've been made more difficult since. Um, and these rules were, you know, essentially uh, created in the socialist era to get socialists off the ballot during one of the uh, uh, Red Scares, and they've stayed in since. So they create real challenges. They require you to walk around with clipboards and talk to lots and lots of people. It really ties our hands. It um, uh, it consumes a huge amount of resources. So Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is trying to get on as an independent, uh, without a grassroots base. So he's estimated his costs at at least uh, $20 million that he's trying to raise. For us, it will cost about a million because we have most of the work done. Among those 21 states are actually California, Texas, Florida, most of the big and expensive states we already have behind us. So we basically have 75% of the work done, although it's not quite half of the states. It's most of the people that we already have. Uh, it requires a real culture of empowerment. And that was one of the reasons why I jumped into the race, because suddenly we didn't have a candidate. Uh, Dr. West initially uh, thought he was going to run with us, and then he decided he wanted to run as an independent. We had an amicable uh, parting of ways that made sense for him, but it meant we had to mobilize quickly. So I jumped in. Um, and one of the reasons I did was because when you um, use your ballot access, you preserve your ballot access. Also, you have to have that. Uh, the rules are written in such a way that you can't run uh, you can't run candidates for municipal and state level offices, in particular for state legislatures, for example, or for um, uh, governors and secretaries of state, and so on. You can't run those unless you already have a presidential candidate that has earned a certain number of votes or you've done the petitioning at that level. So the system is just created in a way that's intended to trip us up and intended to deprive the American people of their choices. But those choices should be there by right. And that's what we are dedicated to, to fighting for. I'd encourage anybody who wants to help in that fight to go to JillStein2024.com and uh, you can join up because this is a grassroots. Um, uh, this is a grassroots fight, and uh, it's everyday people at the level of our local communities that make this happen. Let's talk about the role of the media. It's no mystery that mainstream media aligns much of its reporting to support the political establishment's agendas. 
how much non-paid coverage and opportunity to participate in candidate debates do you expect to be given uh, from the media outlets relative to the Democratic and Republican candidates? So the media outlets uh, typically do not allow us to participate. And in fact, the debates are run by none other than the Democratic and Republican national committees. So these are partisan debates from the get-go. They should be run by a nonpartisan, nonprofit institution like the League of Women Voters that used to run them, that did include Ross Perot in the debates uh, once upon a time. Uh, we should have much better debates. But the alternative candidates and the independents are running their own debates right now. And uh, there are several of these that are scheduled and that we will be participating in. And independent media, <clears throat> excuse me, independent media counts for more and more. The likes of this program represents actually the real interests of the American people and gets the word out. And, you know, um, word about our campaign has just begun to spread largely through social media and uh, and the independent media as well. So I think that's more important than ever. RFK has shown you know, proof of principle that you can get the word out without mainstream media, which is to some extent regarded as um, as the bad guy these days. And the American public, you know, recently on polls has rated the American media, you know, in the 10s or low 20s in terms of uh, favorable support. So it's not quite as disabling as it used to be not to have the support of the mainstream media, but it certainly does help get the word out. And for us, the word will largely be through smear campaigns, but that's okay, too, because those smear campaigns, to some extent, they are a badge of honor. You know, in the words of Gandhi, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, you know, and then you win. So uh, it's not it's not all downside when they start smearing you. It just confirms how afraid they are of our power. We have a few minutes left. Uh, just briefly tell me, who is Jill Stein, the person? Well, you know, I describe myself simply uh, as a mother on fire. You know, I'm a medical doctor by training. And um, when my kids were young, I, I was always an activist. You know, I grew up during the Vietnam War era, and I was standing on the street corner in front of the public library from way back, you know, before it was an issue, just because the war didn't make sense to me and my friends in high school. So we were out there protesting the war. And I grew up with that. You know, I was outside of Chicago during the uh, uh, Democratic Convention uh, in Chicago where uh, Mayor Daley and his police were bashing in the heads of, of, uh, of protesters. So, you know, I grew up in that movement, very skeptical of uh, political parties, but I was always an activist for you know, uh, for peace, for health care, for uh, cleaning up our government and getting the big money out. And when my kids were young, I just started to take health and the environment very seriously because I saw their generation getting so sick. You know, suddenly diabetes and uh, asthma and childhood cancers were just the norm. And, um, you know, and so I began to work with other nonprofits and physician and health groups and work in coalitions, for example, to get money out of politics. And I found that was so, um, you know, it was such sustaining and uplifting work 
And then at one point, the uh, Green Party uh, came to me and said, well, why don't you do that same work, but call it a, uh, a political campaign and run for governor? And my thought at that point was everything else has failed. Why not try that? And, you know, what I found was why I uh, I while I began politics out of desperation after a first race, I emerged with a whole lot of inspiration, discovering how much integrity there is out there in the American people outside of these little pigeonholes that our political system tries to ram people into and especially the media tries to, you know, create divisions and controversy around those divisions. But we actually can have a human conversation and find incredible common ground and, and ways to move forward. So that's why I'm here. You know, I, I moved from uh, clinical medicine to the world of political medicine, working on our political system as the mother of all illnesses that we have to fix so that we can fix all the other things that are literally killing us. And we have good solutions. And if we can get out of the box uh, of this political system and break the stranglehold of big corporate money, there's no end to what we can do. And we can, in fact, you know, reclaim an America and a world uh, that works for all of us. And when I say reclaim, I mean reclaim the vision of it. We've never quite had that world, at least not in recorded history. But we do have that vision of a world that can work for all of us and an America that can work for all of us. And then we need to stand up and, and demand it. That's the only way it's going to happen. Dr. Jill Stein, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. It's been an honor. Thank you so much, Jamal. Great talking with you. That's the voice in the face of Dr. Jill Stein. She's the Green Party presidential candidate, uh, giving what really is, Jamal, a rather compelling analysis and uh, uh, camp and, and a campaign platform, which I think many people in the United States who, and the majority of whom basically are condemning the Biden administration, uh, the way they've, they've handled this genocide by Israel, this is a real legitimate alternative campaign platform that offers liberal and progressive Democrats and independents a real option, a real choice, a legitimate choice and and not voting for Biden or Trump to to really vote their conscience. Well, look, it's not uh, just about what's happening in Gaza and the genocide. Of course, that's a horrific thing. And the Islamophobic behavior of uh, Donald Trump and, of course, Biden's promoting a, a, a genocide. But it's not like about just just about Arab Americans and Muslim Americans. You see, who do you see in the streets, Jess? Hundreds, of, if not millions of uh, young people between the age of 18 and 35. They're sick and tired of the status quo. Uh, the status quo does not address their needs. The status quo promises them things and they lie about it. They say, we're going to forgive your loans, student loans. They don't forgive the student loans. They think that they tell them that their economical status is going to improve, but only the one or two percentile in, in, in you know, upper percentile in the American uh, public uh, gets uh, a benefit while everybody is just like basically sinking in debt and uh, people, young people can't afford to buy a house. They're alone, like in the Bay Area, they can't even afford to rent a house. Right. You know, so so there is an alternative and it's something 
you know, uh, Dr. Jill Stein is running, uh, Cornell West is running, others are running. And people should, again, not settle for the lesser of the two evils. I think that's exactly right, Jamal. I guess part of our message is that Jill Stein is a legitimate candidate with a legitimate platform, with, le you know, with a legitimate uh, kind of series of recommendations for how she would run the country, which, again, from the perspective of progressive politics and really what's in the best interest of the United States, many people would argue far outweighs the way Biden and Trump have approached the economy, uh, you know, what's happening in terms of climate change and in terms of foreign policy, which has been an absolute disaster for both the Biden and the Trump administration. So I agree with you. People need to vote. They need to vote their conscience. And, you know, mostly don't, don't buy into the uh, fear mongering that you're going to hear from the Biden administration and his surrogates saying that if you don't vote for Biden, it's a vote for Trump. It's it's a bogus analysis. We have a we have a system where people can vote for whomever they want, and people need to follow their conscience and vote for their best candidate. You're absolutely uh, correct, Jess. And, uh, you know, a vote for, you know, not voting for Biden, not voting for Trump, basically is not going to take your voting rights away. No, it, it actually solidifies your vo voting rights, Jamal. We're the only democracy... I'll say so-called democracy, where we are stuck in this uh, decrepit two-party system, where as we're finding nowadays, there's very little daylight between the two systems. You know, the Biden administration wants to make this big deal about uh, abortion rights, which justifiably is an incredibly important issue. But to look at all the other issues on the table where Democrats and Republicans uh, seemingly differ. There's not much daylight there, Jamal, to be quite honest. And frankly, it's time to shake up the system. It's time to vote your conscience. It's time to vote. If you believe in progressive politics, I'll say it this way, Jamal, if you believe in progressive politics, you would never vote for Joe Biden. Full stop. Moving on to the next topic, Jess, which is, this could be it's another terrible, horrific massacre that Israel is is just it's about telegraphing. They're to, telegraphing. To They're telegraphing. It. Uh, They're saying we're going to do this. They pushed people in Gaza, Palestinians in Gaza, cornered them, sent them to Rafah, told them this is a safe place. That's what they've been working their way, and to to get them there, you have like now one and a half million people trapped there. The border to Egypt is closed, so they are trapped on this tiny piece of land. And now they're saying they're going to have, they're going to start an invasion, a ground invasion with a very sliver of land of Gaza. Gaza, to begin with, is very small. So imagine this is the corner of Gaza. They have their tanks lined up. And you know if they're, they're going to start, it's going to be another massacre, another huge massacre. And they've started testing the ground. I mean, we, every day, it's not, the killing has not stopped. No, but it's if, increased. If, but if it's they, increased. If you, if you go with a major invasion, and of course, every time they come up with lies, first the lie that Hamas's headquarters was beneath Al Shifa Hospital. I, I hope everybody remembers that that that, that charade and film. It was the lie. You know the lie. So it wasn't it was there. A lie. Now they're coming and they're saying it's under UNRWA. 
uh, some UNRWA site, and now they're saying it's all in Rafah. So uh, they're holding back a little bit because the Biden ad administration ha has given them half a green light so far. They're saying, well, you could do it, but you want to you want to ensure the safety and the well-being of the one and a half million Palestinians. It's such a How joke. are you going to ensure the it's safety of one and a half million Palestinians when you're drop dropping whatever 4,000 pound bombs on them and but missiles, etc.? Can I ask you a question? Can I ask yeah. you a question? Would any Palestinian, any Arab, any person of the world hearing Benjamin Netanyahu say, we're going to guarantee free, safe passage, would anybody in their right mind believe that outrageous liar saying that we'll keep you safe? Nobody believes that. No one. It's a, com it's a complete, utter embarrassment, joke, insult to the, to the conscience and the morality of the entire world. He's, he's saying these words, but nobody, and I should say, Jamal, nobody believes him. Biden doesn't believe him, even though he's supporting it. NATO doesn't believe it. Uh, the world community doesn't believe it. Nobody believes him. And what's, what's, what's a travesty here, Jamal, in, in the face of a genocide that's occurring with almost 28,000 Palestinians being murdered by the Israeli military and the state, we, they're telegraphing this. They're saying to the world, we're going to massacre more Palestinians, and the world is just sitting by. Biden is sitting by. Nobody is, you know, taking the steps needed to stop this ongoing massacre. It's, it's No, it's and you really cannot outrageous. just say, it. so now we're hearing also from uh, some uh, European Union countries that, uh, you know, shouldn't uh, continue with the invasion. These are the ones who green-lighted his invasion to begin with to Gaza. These are the ones who refused to adhere to, to call for a ceasefire when millions of their populations were demonstrating in the streets, asking them and pleading with them to have a ceasefire. And now they're saying, no, no, they shouldn't because that's going to end with a massacre. Of course, it's going to end with a massacre. We've already had a massacre. 28,000 people. What do you consider the killing of 28,000 people? It is a massacre. It's a genocide. So now they're coming to the party late. And Benjamin Netanyahu has been emboldened because they allowed him for four months to slaughter Palestinians. And so why should he listen to them after four months? And he keeps promising, by the way, because he, he's also prolonging his life in, in government. And he's promising people, I'm going to, you know, that's, we're coming to the end. We're going to end Hamas and so forth and whatever he has in mind, when everyone now starting to wake up and told, and telling him, you're not going to uh, destroy Hamas. No. Can, you're not going to stop the people from right. resisting an, uh, an occupation. Yet he continues with the same lie, Jess. Yeah, it's the same lie. And everybody, if, if you read the careful analyses, uh, they've said a number of things, Jamal. Number one, Hamas's military... Uh, um, effort right now and its military basis has not been degraded significantly. So it's been four months, 28,000 Palestinians have been murdered. The intention of the Israeli genocide in Gaza was to, quote, wipe out Hamas. That hasn't happened. The only thing that has happened is that there's been a massacre and a genocide of Palestinians. Secondly, and the UN just announced this yesterday, that according to what's happening in Gaza right now, and let's keep in mind, there's still not enough humanitarian aid coming in, Jamal. 
There's still no place to go. There's still no place to, to shelter right now. But the UN said that Israel appears to be violating the the uh, ruling of the ICJ even further because the ICJ made its ruling, Jamal. One of the things that it said, it should Israel should take all steps to prevent more civilian deaths. It should allow humanitarian aid in. None of those things are happening right now, Jamal. So Israel continues to violate international law and the ICJ ruling as we speak. Why would anybody, anybody believe anything that Israel says or Benjamin Netanyahu says, Jamal? It's, it's, we're, we're looking at yet another uh, massacre of innocent Palestinian civilians and nobody's doing anything about it. No, and this kind, no but, but this gets to the idiocy, and I know we're jumping around a little bit, and the, the utter preposterousness of Joe Biden, who, who, you know, it won't, even now, Jamal, will not say ceasefire. No. He'll say Israel's actions are, quote, over the top. Whatever that means. I don't know what that means. It's a genocide. Well, we'll but he come says back it's to over this. the top. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to it. But it's a complete joke for we'll, genocide joke. We'll come back this. to this because I want to talk about CNN. I mean, oh, the, the media here has been is, horrific, but but CNN takes deserves the, the medal of the, bias. The gold medal. The, the gold, gold medal. Of the, the gold medal of bias. Unbelievable. Yes. Unbelievable. So, uh, I don't know if people are aware of the story leaks within CNN. These are leaks within CNN revealed that for months its executives have been actively imposing an editorial line designed to reinforce Israel's framing of events in Gaza to the point of obscuring atrocities by the Israeli military. They've been like censoring their own folks there, you know, uh, they're telling them what words to use and how to refer to this. And, and, and these guys, they feel suffocated, not all of them, but some of them, the, the good ones, they feel suffocated that they basically have been leaking this information because they've been receiving these, these memos and, uh, and these directives uh, that uh, they've been receiving directly from CNN's pro-Israel, basically, directives uh, from the very top, okay, the very top. Uh, Mark Thompson, a TV executive who was hired from the BBC. This is now the head of CNN. Right. Okay. And if you look at his history, we can spend two hours talking about his history and, and, and how he ran the, the BBC there. But anyway, very biased fo uh, fellow. And so now he's just like really censoring his staff, from the cameramen to the producers, to the reporters, to the anchors, to basically to bow to the Israeli government pressure on so many occasions. Like they'd say something and the second day they'll, they'll, they'll change it. And we can talk about it, uh, you know, for a long time. Basically minimizing Palestinian casualties, mi minimizing to almost nil to zero, bringing any Palestinian, per uh, you know, spokesperson on the air you know, when they have their own, you know, talking uh, with from Benjamin Netanyahu to his foreign minister to others. And and so the people are just got sick and tired of it. So they started like uh, leaking it. And there was a big article in The Guardian uh, describing it so people can can read that um, article there. But now, just like two days ago, and I want to talk about this because this is a very important story to show you how low CNN can go, you know, so I hope everybody heard the story of uh, six-year-old uh, Hind Rajab, 
you know uh, terrible story man it she broke, was it broke a, my heart right riding in a car with her family israel the israeli tanks bombed the car her entire family dies they die she survives so she had a communication pleading with people so we know everybody knows actually her voice was recorded right she was recorded trying to by the 911 by the 911 like come take me help me etc don't leave so, me alone so, so there was me. a campaign to say where what happened to her then she disappeared like we, we didn't hear anything was she rescued was she taken somewhere else etc because israel what, what israel had done uh, they bombed as the rescuers went there the medics they bombed the car again killing right. them and killing her i know and then they covered covered that for days so so now sad they don't want to even share even even talking about it because visually it's very you know heartbreaking the decomposed body of her with the medics basically so they bombed the car twice right and killed her the 6 year old girl left alone to die alone crying so what cnn does do you think cnn talks about the story the story is all over what cnn puts a headline saying that a 6 year old girl was found killed found killed yeah doesn't name israel like she just like what tripped and died accidentally killed they put this ugly headline it's still there it's still there on their website you know other other organizations from the garden even bbc said she was killed by by, by israeli shelling and so forth they refused to name her killers i mean this is this is how low they've been well Jamal, they refuse to identify her as a human being they don't even give her a name jamal i feel like uh cnn has lost its moral uh journalistic uh you know uh standing long ago jamal cnn is not news it's a propaganda arm for the israeli military when it comes to what's happening in gaza right now they parrot the talking points they interview israeli uh, spokespeople they they rarely if ever interview palestinians this is a level of journalistic uh malpractice i don't know what what is a wor- what what what's a worse word than that journalistic malfeasance journalistic it's just like cnn should not even be considered journalism anymore no. i mean it's not and you know the 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 this tragedy of hind rajab uh i mean we've had 14,000 palestinian children who've been murdered by israel with the full backing of the united states but but hind rajab uh symbolically represents the the kind of uh perversity and the grotesqueness of this genocide that israel is committing right now by willfully killing palestinian children she, listen she called 911 the israelis knew where she was the israelis knew she was alive the israelis knew that she needed help from a medic and what did they do they waited till the medics went there and then they killed her and then they killed the medics it's it's this story should have been front page of every single newspaper and uh broadcast media outlet in the world and cnn chose to you know to ignore it I don't know what to say about CNN Jamal. This is really journalist 
at its look. I'm not going to call it journalism. I don't know what to call it. It's basically the Israeli propaganda arm in the United States. It is. And our last story, Jess, and this is... Uh, oh, don't get me started, I'll start because we don't have too much time, but I'll say to <laughs> Arab Americans, Muslim Americans, and don't believe it. other minorities, don't, don't believe drink by... the Kool-Aid. No. Don't drink that Kool-Aid. They started talking about it uh, just so... So the New York Times, this is, you see, this is when they want to spread like misinformation. They send it to the New York Times, big publication. Like a big story. U.S. President Joe Biden said that the countries receiving American weapons must adhere to international law. Also, in a memorandum issued, you know, on Thursday night, um, basically requiring an executive order requiring foreign governments receiving military aid. We know where that military aid goes to to provide written assurances that they are abiding by the laws of war. When what a joke. was the last time you've heard Israel's abiding by the laws of war? Well, killing 14,000 children, children in Gaza, abiding by the laws of war? It's such a joke, Jamal. Why, why does anybody believe Joe Biden? He sent Samantha Power and Joe Finer. Joe Finer is another pro-Israel advocate. Samantha Power is wrote a book on genocide, Jamal. Samantha Power wrote a book on genocide, and when they asked her about what's happening in Gaza, she couldn't bring herself to say the word genocide in Gaza right now. She's an embarrassment. Th these two people are embarrassments. They went to Dearborn to try to talk to the Arab American community and to the Muslim community in Dearborn in Detroit to say, and this is what's really insulting, well, we maybe the Biden administration had some missteps. It's a genocide, Jamal. Missteps, and, yeah. and they're calling that missteps. Missteps just mis missteps is uh you know put putting mustard on your peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> That's a misstep. Yeah, yeah. I mean not yeah. not not murdering 28,000 people. But listen, there's been no change in the American foreign policy. Why do, do does Finer and Samantha Power and Biden and Harris believe Arabs are really that freaking stupid? That they're going to listen to these to to people who are in the Biden administration when the Biden administration continues to send arms is getting ready to, you know, come up with 18 more billion dollars to send to Israel, where Joe Biden continues to not call for a ceasefire, where we're seeing a massacre and, and Rafa about to unfold and Joe Biden not doing anything. This is insulting. And this is why, Jamal, with with our guest today. Uh, Green Party presidential candidate Jill Stein, we are telling people, you know, vote your conscience, because how can anybody, let alone Palestinians or Arab Americans or Muslim Americans, vote for uh, Joe Biden? You, in, in good conscience, you can't. But I would say, how could any American of good conscience vote for either Donald Trump or, or Joe Biden? So, you know, this thing that Biden is doing, they know the writing is on the wall, I think. They see that there's a real chance. 70% of voters between the ages of seven, uh, 18 and 35, 70% have a negative view of Biden, Jamal. Uh, 70%. So I, I think that the Arab American community in Dearborn needs to stand tall and be proud and just say, you let us down, we're not voting for you. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. 
Go to our website, ArabTalkRadio.com, to download the latest shows, and we'll talk to you next week. See you next week.